Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, it's free Rider Friday. Right on, Ed. Pretty excited about that. Yeah, me too. I've been looking forward to it for all month. All month, since last month. Yeah, my stack is bulging. <clears throat> What's the oldest thing in your stack, Ron? Do you have do you, do you keep the stack like forever, or do you purge? I do purge. I, yeah, you know, I do. I do. And unfortunately, all my stuff is current within the last couple months to February, March. Really? But yeah, and I and, and you know the stuff you purge, I feel really bad about because some of it is really good, but yeah, you know, new news supplants it, right? So what are you going to do? Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, I same thing here. It's like I, I just, I'll have this big stuff, and then every so often I just go through and say, "Well, we never, never really got to that. It's still relevant, but we're not going to talk about it." So, yep. on to the next thing. Yep. So the first one I have is I, I'm going to try and deal with this one because I think it's 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 a, the convergence of a bunch of different issues together, and I don't think it has to do with anything else that probably is in either one of our stacks, unless su- surprisingly you have it as well. Okay. But but it was a, that there was an advertising agency in the UK. This is out of a, the a, the Times of London story. An advertising agency in the UK dropped its relationship with Google. Because the because Google pre- fa- failed to prevent certain advertisements from appearing next to extremist content. Mm, okay. Right. Yeah. And, and what they what they wanted was it was it's it, they wanted was just say hey listen you you should you should be able to suppress who advertises near the content that we end up submitting to you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and so th- so this I think is an interesting convergence of of first of all free freedom freedom of press right, and it's certainly these are private organizations that can do whatever they want. They they don't have to continue to do business with Google. But how much is, is Google really responsible for uh, other th- th- things that just happen to get l- linked to another person's content? Right, because right. of words or whatever, yeah. or keywords, yeah, yeah. Right. So this is a, an agency called, I'm going to be curious to, to our friend Tim Williams' thoughts on this, Havis. 
one of the big mm. six agencies, right? Mm-hmm. Suspended advertising for 240 of their customers, including O2, EDF, and the Royal Mail, including uh, across all of Google's websites, in, including YouTube. Uh, revelations in the times that they that anti-Semites and banned hate preachers were receiving payouts from YouTube commercials uh, has already led to dozens of organizations pulling their advertising from the video platform, including the Cabinet Office and then Sainsbury's and The Guardian. Wow, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, you've heard this before with advertisers. Like, okay, I've heard this with respect to YouTube. They don't want to be associated with certain content or whatever. Right. You know, sometimes it's embarrassing to find out the <laughs> what they're what they're linked to or what their ads are running on. Right. Right. And so, and sometimes you know it's just a, it's a random thing. Like they they have random random ads that that happen to come up. Or, or random content that happens to come up based on what the per other person searched, so you know the search term was. So I I don't know how they could be expected to control it, you know, because for you for you to, to is there a way to say all right, if if this content has this in it, then suppress it. I mean, it would it would the, the algorithm that they would have to write that would be insanely complex in order be. to be able to do that, and. I'm not quite sure if I understand why are, are these brands worried that they'll be tainted because a, 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 an extremist video appeared next to it somewhere on a website. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just, just find that hard to, 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 to swallow and, 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 and worry all that much about. I mean, that's that, that could happen anywhere at any time. Especially with Google, because they're, the way they auction off the ads, right? AdWords mm-hmm. or whatever, and it—I mean, I don't think there's a human involved in curating that, right? No. Just, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, uh, that's really interesting. I hadn't seen that story. Yeah. Now, Google, for its part, is saying that, hey, listen, they—they're going to begin a thorough review of their ads and policies and making changes in the upcoming weeks to, to try to give them more control over it. And I, I guess that they can, they can secure it to a certain extent, but I don't think they'll ever be able to say, okay, we can guarantee you that no objectionable video will show up next to your content. I mean, maybe they can, maybe they, maybe they have that, that algorithm worked out, but, uh, I just see it as a as a very difficult business challenge. So, yeah, that'd be that'd be very impressive if they did have that algorithm worked out for mm-hmm. sure. I, you yeah. know, Google does get into some interesting, like the whole thing with China, you know, yep. and and the censoring of the search results and all of that. And you know, they did their best to say, hey, we we're not showing you a bunch of results because it's been censored by the government, but mm-hmm. you know, they still caught a lot of flack for it. And it's like, well, should they be in China or not? You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's real interesting. And you know, their whole their whole uh, ethical statement is, don't be evil, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, in a sense, it's 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 almost like the question of 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 the Cuban embargo, right? Is does did, did 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 the Cuban embargo actually work? Well, I submit to you that any embargo that's lasting fifty plus years, no, it's probably not working, right? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> you it's the, it, if the embargo was going to work, it would have worked long ago, right? 
but I, you know, I see how people get get upset by it. So that's what you're, you're what you're trying to do is you can should Google participate in in, in China? Y- yes, and for them to pull out, well, it would only probably make the situation worse because what would replace it? Well, something that's probably even more censored. Yeah, and I think it is whatever the Chinese equivalent to Google is. They have one, right? I, I right. forget what it's called, but yeah, and 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 it's you know heavily censored too. I'm sure. Yep. Yep. So anyway, all right. So that was my first one, and and I figured that have, would have nothing to do with anything else we talk about today. So I figured just get it out of the way and move on, because the others the others are more in line with our normal free rider stuff. Yep. No good stuff. All right, Ed. This is the one where you scratch your head and go, "Hmm, this is an interesting idea," even though this is so politically incorrect. Okay. It, it sounds like something out of the Onion, or <laughs> the old. Remember the Harvard Lampoon. Oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. Do they still publish that? Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, this this was uh this was in the New York Post, but it was originally published on news.com.au, which is Australia. Yeah. Belarus. It's a landlocked country between Russia and Poland, about nine and a half million yeah. in population. Has instituted a social parasite tax on the unemployed, also known as the spongers or freeloaders tax. This cannot be true. No, no, this is true. No, this is no lie. Two hundred and thirty-three dollar tax. That's that's the average monthly wage in Belarus. Okay. If you're, if you're unemployed, they call it being work shy. The work for six, shy <laughs> for six months or more. President Alexander Lukashenko uh, issued a presidential decree number three, by the way, in two thousand and fifteen implementing this tax ultimately it could lead to prison if you don't pay it um now he's agreed to delay it but not eliminate it now you think about this and you think about the laffer curve you think about art laffer's axiom right subsidize something you get more of it when you tax something you get less of it less of it Mm -hmm. so why aren't we taxing unemployment yeah I mean, this is like right out of Steve Landsberg's wheelhouse, right? Uh, absolutely. Would you love to ask him about this? Right. So, so they're taxing people who are unemployed. So, they, so they've got to pony up in some way. Well, yep. I guess if they try to do that here, that would be like debtor's prison, right? Oh. That would be the that would be the cries. There would be the you know, yeah, Dickinsonian. This oh. is what's happening. Can you even? Well, there was major protests. That's part of the story. Is in the capital, oh, Minsk I imagine. Or whatever. Yeah, major yeah. protests. Um, you know, and 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 people. Are, you know, this this kind of harks back to social paratism of of the old Soviet Union, right? Because mm-hmm. they they would do the same thing to you if you didn't right. work. Right, you were a social parasite. Um, so there was a lot of protests regarding this, but um, you know, if you just look at the economics of it, it makes sense. Yeah, but you got you can't just look at the economics of it, right? I mean, I there's to, to institute institute attacks on the because because like you said, what what's the end goal? Well, I guess it would would get a certain number of people to say, "Crap, I got to get a job now because otherwise I've got to pay two hundred thirty something dollars to the government." But then you would also have the people like, "Well, what are they? What are they ultimately going to do?" If they, I guess I guess they would just come and take you and put you in prison and then make you work there. I you know, yeah I, I yeah I I don't know they didn't get into that in the story but um, you know there was a, when I was when I was in college or maybe even in high school there was a 
article in the Harvard's Lampoon. That's why I asked you about it. Um, and, and you know how they were. They, it was really sophisticated humor. And it was a pretty long article about how the tax system was completely unfair to the rich and subsidized the poor because the rich can't deduct their yachts and their Rolls Royces, but the poor can have as many kids as they want and deduct all those. And it was, it was incredibly biting satire, but incredibly sophisticated. And as I read this article, that's what, that's what popped into my head. But, uh, yeah, you know, for, for, for as politically incorrect as this is, I, you got to admit, it probably gets some marginal people back on off the couch and do a job. <sighs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd have to, I'd have to think about the all of the that which is unseen piece of this a little bit more. But I get where they're going with it. It is an inverse Laffer curve, is what they're trying to do. Is what they, is that if we tax something, it would, it would would uh, decrease I mean, look, it. Sin taxes, right? Tax yeah. liquor, smoking. We get less of it. Uh, tax soda drinks. We get less of it. Great tax unemployment. Yeah, but I can only just imagine then the cries of, well, then you must provide a job for me. There must be some that are available. You yeah. know, in, in in my industry, I don't know. They have nine and a half million people in this country, and it's estimated, because I guess, I don't know, they don't have good statistics, but one million are thought to be out of work. <laughs> and are they, and, and I guess, are they currently collecting? Are they currently on the dole? Yes. Uh, that that's so what are. this is. Yes, that's what this is designed to alleviate for for over six months. You right. can't get a job in six months, then you're going to pay this tax. Now it's not a monthly tax; it's a one-time hit. I guess it's just based on the average monthly wage. It's how they okay. came up with with the tax. Okay, I, I don't know if it's once a year or what. Uh, I don't know how the tax is assessed, but it 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 probably would get some marginal people back back to work. Now, right. look, the thing I don't like about it is, you know, I just don't want people to work. Otherwise, you know, if that created happiness in a great society, we should just throw everybody into labor camps. Right, 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 right. right. I, so I can I can certainly see that counter argument. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not supporting this. I just think this is one of those things where you scratch <laughs> your head and go, this is really interesting. And you know what? I know some people that this could benefit. So, no, uh, maybe, snap. Maybe I'm more sympathetic <laughs> to this than... Uh, in the average uh, that is, uh, okay fair enough fair <laughs> enough but well wow ron we're already up against a break and but we, we want to remind all of our listeners that you can connect with ron or me at ask tsoe at verisage.com also hashtag ask tsoe and it also is a free rider friday so we the line is open if you wanted to call the number is 866 472 five seven nine zero and we would love to hear from you if you want to so call but right now we want to hear from our sponsor leading results Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voice America. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are Leading Results. 
we build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We are free riding on Friday here on The Soul of Enterprise. And just a reminder, if you want to call in and give us your suggestions, maybe you want to free ride with us, the number is 866 866- Four seven two five seven nine zero. Next up, Ron, in my stack, though, is an article that I came across. I believe it was last night. It uh, published on Tuesday, though. Published on Tuesday, that March twenty eighth, in the Guardian. And this, the title, the title of this this article is "Robots versus Experts: Are Any Human Professions Safe from Automation?" So, right <laughs> up our wheelhouse. Beautiful, right. The authors of this article are Richard and Daniel Suskin. Suskin. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> so I was like, holy cow. I know, well, one of them I've met. They, they, this is it, it's a, a short little piece, and it just is an attempt for them to kind of give a follow-up to the book. They introduce the concepts of the book. I think this was a piece maybe to sell some more books, and that's fine. I totally agree with, with, with that. But they, they say during the year after the, the book's publication in October 2015, we tested this line of argument on audiences of professionals in more than 20 countries speaking to 15,000 people at over 100 events. One of them, Sage Summit, which is upcoming in the United States in Atlanta, by the way, for you, those of you interested. But the, and they say – this is funny. They say the response, frankly, was mixed. Sure. Their, their, their work seemed to polarize by people who zealously agreed with the thesis and those who rejected it universally. What they've kind of come down to, though, is that they they really do think that we have to be careful about a, a, this what they perceive as a danger of being, and this is the phrase they're using, excessively human centric, right? And here's the last paragraph of the article: in contemplating the future potential of, I'm sorry, the potential of future machines to outperform professionals. What really matters is not how the systems operate, but whether, in terms of the outcome. The end product is superior. In other words, whether or not machines will replace human professionals is not down to the capacity of the systems perform as tasks as people do. It is whether the systems can outperform human beings, and in many fields, they already can. Right. 
So they they're they're I think furthering their thinking a little bit a little bit more, uh, and they they do talk about that they ha- they'll be with the, you know the phrase that I hate from them is the empathizer, mm-hmm. but that far too many professionals, and I think they're right on this, have this overly human centric view of the world, and it's time to wake up about that because it's 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 dangerous thinking to think that a human being has to do your job. Um, and man, it's, 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 it's rocking and rolling out there now. It is. It is. In fact, I've got a similar story, kind of a, a kind of dovetails right into that one. Perfect. Um, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but since you brought that up, I'll bring this up. And I, I think this is fascinating, Ed. This is, uh, out of the economist from, uh, March 4th, 2017, uh, the wonder drug. So the digitizing the healthcare industry. $18 billion in the U.S. US of A has gone into digital startup funding between 2015-2018. And, you know, Alexa can recite, right, life-saving instructions about cardiopulmonary resuscitation, right? Uh-huh. Um, yep. So uh, the economist lays out to say there's three groups that are fighting for this healthcare value chain. You've got the traditional innovators, right, big pharma. Mm-hmm hospitals, medical tech companies. The second are the incumbent players. So health insurers, big pharma buyers, you know, outfits like the National Health Service in the UK, Medicare, Mm -hmm. right? Government buys drugs in bulk. And the third are the tech insurgents, they call them, Google, Amazon, Apple, who are creating apps, predictive diagnostic systems and new devices, right? And what they're seeing in this third category, the tech insurgents, is buyers are increasingly demanding a value-based reimbursement. In other words, if your drug or device doesn't function, mm-hmm. <laughs> we won't buy it or you won't get paid for it. Right. And one analyst said, if pharma firms don't put the patient rather than the drug sales at the center of their strategy, they risk losing relevance. Now, that's really interesting. I think it dovetails with what the Suskins were saying about <laughs> what matters is results. The outcome. The outcome. outcome. And I, that, outcome that was the thing that hit me about this is that, we, yep. you know, we're using the same language. And I can remember discussing that with them. It's, you know, it's about it's about not outputs, but even outcomes. Absolutely. And, and <clears throat> the other thing that this article pointed out was that the point of care, meaning medical care, will move rapidly into the home. I mean, heart conditions and concussions uh, you know, can be monitored or diagnosed, um, and and even they're working on predicting the onset of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and even menopause. Uh, there's a London-based startup known as Babylon that can schedule an online online doctor appointment for like twenty four dollars, um, and they estimate that eighty five percent of consultations don't need to be in person. Wow. Uh, so, I, I mean, and if you think about some of these apps that are coming out in the high-resolution cameras now that are on, you know, practically every smartphone, they're, they're doing eye exams um, <laughs> that, that are just as good as, you know, going into the, the doctor's office and getting an eye yeah. exam through your, yeah. through your camera. Now, this is what's interesting about this, Ed, and this is a second story from uh, Veronique de Rougy. Um, the gal at the uh, Economist uh, at the Mercatus Center, and yep. she's got an article called "Cronyism Thwarts Telemedicine and Other Innovations." And I know this is a constant theme, at least with me. And we've talked about this before. 
But because these high-res phones are so good for, you know, dermatology, right, they can diagnose moles and rashes and, and, and eye exams, the California State Board of Autometry used taxpayer money to do a PR campaign against one startup. I can't believe that our state board would, well, I can't believe it. Um, Indiana has passed a law preventing online eye exams. Georgia and South Carolina have as well. And Virginia is about to do the same thing. So, you know, this is a constant theme too with the Suskins material. This is all great, but the roadblock here is going to be the government, mm-hmm. you know, with a lot of this technology. It really is. I, and, and, these state boards are even prohibiting doctors in one state offering telemedicine to residents in their states. And because that's what state boards do. They, they're there to protect their consumers in the state. Right. right? right. Um, and I think this is an enormous obstacle to, you know, so-called permissionless innovation, such mm-hmm. as the stuff that the Suskins talk about and, and, and some of these other apps. It's just really, it's going to be really intriguing. I mean, I think it's going to, I don't know. I, I I go back and forth on this, but I think it's going to be a slower adoption rate because of stuff like this. Clearly slower because it would it, it, if if government didn't interfere, it would happen. Of course, and and of course, their their rationale is never we're trying to protect our constituencies. Their rationale is well, we don't think this technology is proven, and we want to protect the 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 patient or the customer. Yeah. Right. That's that's the way that the, the, the way these these work. But it's a bootlegger Baptist thing. Totally right. is because yeah. these state boards of autometry or, you know, I've got one here on veterinarians too. Um, it, it's it, <laughs> nobody ever, you know, no, no, no member of the public ever writes the government says, please protect me from, you know, telemedicine or right. eye exams. Right. You know, it's always the, it's always the optometrists that run to the board and say, mm-hmm. you know, we need to protect the public. Right. And it's, it's just a joke. I mean, yeah, it's totally bootleg Baptist totally right and uh, look what what's what'll happen here is there'll be um, I think the it'll be a, the creation of a gray or even black market for this stuff because you know once you have apps in place that can do these things with the cameras like you say that are in place to diagnose the 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 concussion or to to or, or even to look at do an eye exam all right well you're gonna prevent Apple from downloading them in all 50 states? I mean, I suppose they could. I suppose they could, you know, then have to say, you know, we, we, we would would say what apps one can purchase because you can always go and get your glasses filled at on an online store in China. Yeah, exactly. You get your prescription right? written by a doctor in Mexico or China or mm-hmm. wherever. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I know. I uh, Janie's out of the bottle, but right. I, yeah, there is a cult. But- there is a cultural aspect to all this technology diffusion too, and just changing human behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that it's available, I know, is really important, but it still takes time to diffuse for people to get used to it and use it and all of that. Right. Well, I got a I got a quick one here. We can do qu- before the break. is It's along it's along the lines of of of, uh, of, of technology, and uh, we you mentioned China. This one is from the Japan Times. Right. And here's here's the headline. Facial recognition technology flushes out China's toilet paper thieves. Didn't <laughs> did not know this, Ron, but apparently a big problem in China. And this was confirmed by my father in law who has has visited that uh, that people stealing paper uh, toilet paper from public restrooms is China is kind of a big deal. Wow. 
Yep. So now what happens is, is they put these little machines in place that when you enter into the restroom, it's got facial recognition technology. And you you stand there and it says, welcome, please stand in the recognition zone. This is in Chinese, of course, and I don't speak right. Chinese. So you have to right. And then one by one, you um, you get you position themselves and then the machine denses, uh, dispenses out your allotment of 60 centimeters of toilet paper, which is 23 <laughs> inches. <laughs> but if the same person tries to collect more tissue within a nine minute within nine minutes, they will give it a, a, a polite rejection that says, "Please try again later." All right? So the <laughs> wow, high tech rationing of toilet high tech rationing of toilet paper in the rest public restrooms in China. And uh, yeah, only so the USSR would have had that. <laughs> <laughs> You know what is amazing about that facial recognition software is it, it it's now isn't it more uh, reliable than the human eye? Oh yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's yep. fascinating. Yep. It's so fun. yep, yep. So the, now, of course, the really funny thing here is that the machines are are manufactured by a Japanese company. So. <laughs> 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 oh well that's awesome ed well as usual these pre-writers are just flying by and folks i'd like to remind you if you want to email ed or myself you can do so at ask tsoe at verisage.com and please visit us at the soul of check out our calendar page where you can see where ed and i will be presenting in uh public and at other events and now we want to hear from our sponsor of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6. 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise 
Well, welcome back, everybody. We're Free Write, Writer Friday here on in uh, March. And Ed, the next one up I have is called Council of Protection, the Future of Insurance. This is from The Economist, March 11th. And, of course, we're kind of fascinated with insurance. We always talk about it and the psychology behind buying insurance mm-hmm. and all of that. It is a $4.6 trillion <laughs> worldwide industry. Right. Um, and what this is saying is, of course, they're going, they're undergoing their own competitive pressures from technological change. And they talk about a New York startup. This actually in another article um, in The Economist as well. Uh, there's a New York startup called Lemonade, and it's it's for homeowners and and renters. And even though you know it's, they're an insurance company, they said we're really a, a digital software company at heart. This app makes it easier. Um, to 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 do insurance to file claims it appeals to younger you know the digital generation they sold 2000 policies in their first 100 days and 80% were first time buyers mm-hmm. uh, it uses ai and machine learning to process claims so rather mm-hmm. than human judgment with underwriting and looking for fraud and all of that they're relying on machine learning uh, now 25% of americans <laughs> defraud their insurance claims you know and <laughs> no, Which I think is kind of interesting. Um, but they talk about a guy who who had a stolen coat, and he answered a few questions on the app, and he was his claim was paid in three seconds. Three seconds. Three seconds. <clears throat> wow. So, yeah, this is um, this this obviously is going to be quite a, you know sort of disruptive for insurance companies. Uh, there's two. Uh, the Two Sigma is a large quant hedge fund here in the states, um, and they're also betting that number crunching algorithms will do a better job at gauging risk and setting prices. Um, there's a simple uh, outfit in Germany called Simple Insurance, which integrates product warranty insurance into e-commerce sites. So if you're selling mm-hmm. TVs or other appliances, you know you get the extended warranty, and they're running algorithms on that and predicting predicting that um, so insurance companies are trying to respond to these competitive threats and they're coming up with new kinds of risk prevention services and this kind of goes back to the internet of things which we've talked about but for example if you have a homeowner you know you could install sensors on their incoming water pipes that could detect minuscule leaks and fix them before they flood the place right mm-hmm. And, and they're trying to entice their customers with premium discounts rather than making money for these value-added services. So I thought that was just kind of interesting. It kind of, kind of bleeds over into what the Suskins talk about, the impact of all this technology on professions. But obviously in the fintech world, it's having an impact in there as well. But here's the thing in the story that dropped a bomb, and it's the very last paragraph uh, and, and this just blew my mind. Now, I know this is premature, but still, I think this is huge. It says, car makers have traditionally bought product liability insurance to cover manufacturing defects. Both, both Volvo and Mercedes are so confident of their self-driving cars that last year they both said they will not buy insurance at all. They will self-insure. Wow. Now, I think that's startling that is extraordinarily telling i mean even if it doesn't pan out the fact that they're so they're that confident to make that statement because you know they're both public companies (laughs) right Um, that's can you 
can you imagine? And that's just that's really incredible statement. I thought. well, I let me loop loop this back to what you said before. I think what's slowing down driverless cars now, as we predicted, by the way, is is government again. Uh, you know, I I think that that. By the way, Ford announced, I think, that by 2020, that, that they would have a significant percentage of their fleet will be driverless. 2020. I know. I model know. year's 2020. Because what I put is, I mean, so it's early 2017. So it's got 2018 models got to be coming out now, right? Yep. I mean, they're yeah. kind of like they're, backed yeah. up. They're, they're about to release. <laughs> yep. I think that's right. You know, uh, so that's that's two model years away. I know it, this stuff is improving at an incredibly rapid pace, um, and and just to back that up, I, this, this, along the same lines, artificial intelligence. I don't know if you saw this. Um, kind of, you know, how it's beating the chess player and the, the you know go, deep yep. learning go right. Well, it's also beat uh, after twenty days. Four of the world's best poker players. There's a really a, there's an AI machine called Libratus. And I don't know who who whose it is. I don't know if it's Google's or one of the big giant companies, but it won a twenty day poker tournament, one point seven million dollars in prize money. And here's the thing: you got to figure out when the person's bluffing, right? And they, and it did, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's astonishing. I mean, poker is you know there's a lot of judgment in there, mm-hmm. uh, and. <laughs> but but isn't one of the things that a lot of those those folks use is that is the is the tells of other players? Yes. And obviously the computer is not going to have a tell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I I would I would could imagine that the computer would have a, an advantage there. An advantage well, on that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I don't have a story on this next one at all. I just want to talk about it with you. And 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 that is so. And this is those of you who listen outside the United States, you can just you know shut off for the next five minutes or so. <laughs> Let's talk about this whole U.S. Obama Care, Trump Care, repeal and replace fiasco that's happening. And and here's something I just don't get. Like the Republicans had seven years to line this whole thing up. And then they get to the goal line, they fumble the ball. I, I mean, it's, 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 it, it seems to be just completely insane. I, now, I'm not saying that the Freedom Caucus didn't have some, some really good ideas because I, I think that what, what the, the moderates didn't want to go far enough, right? So the simple solution from my perspective is, well, just pass one of the bills that you passed in the last seven years because every year, I think for the last six anyway, there's been a, a, a bill that's been passed that repeals Obamacare that all of the more many of these these members of Congress are already on record as being in favor of. You know, now what do they do? Uh, I know. I hear you. I mean, the Republicans just have a great way of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Joe Klein uh, wrote an article, I, and I forget the paper that he writes for. I don't know if it's the Times or the New York Times or one of them, but he, he says that whole failure is the biggest political lie in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's hard to disagree with. I mean, um, yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it's so frustrating. Well, the, and but the last piece that I just want to mention here on this, it, it, and this is I was not aware of this, and we can we can post this on the 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 show because I posted on my personal Facebook page. But uh, one of the really smart guys, Michael Cannon, over at Cato, yep. right? 
He did a podcast about repealing Obamacare called The Smart Way to Repeal Repeal Obamacare. And in this, at about 13 minutes into a 17-minute podcast, which is, by the way, extraordinarily long for Cato that they would do that. Usually they're around 10, right? He says that, 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 that Trump could effectively end Obamacare today by doing the following three things. And he says that really because they're they, and they, which have already been deemed illegal. One, there's a cost-sharing subsidy that – there's already a court order on. Yes. But it yeah. just simply hasn't been enforced. Right. 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 So just enforce the quarter. Number two, there's a there's a GAO report that says that the diversion of funds to insurance companies is illegal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And third, and this is the one that really gets me really angry. And the illegal congressional exemption, because, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but at first, at first Congress was sub- subject to Obamacare. But in the reconciliation bill, what they did was very clever here. They had Congress declare itself a small business. Right. And exempted themselves. Yes. Emmanuel Kant ex- would be spinning in his grave. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, wait, wait a minute. And that, of course, of course, includes their staffers and all this stuff. Well, all he would have to do was sign an executive order that e- ends this exemption because it's an executive order that created the exemption. Right. So it, it creates the exemption. This gives all of Congress and their aides an immediate pay cut that. And I love this because of the, the amendment that was passed that was originally part of the Bill of Rights. Right. Finally passed in like 1997 or something. They can't give themselves a pay raise until the next Congress. Right. Right. (laughs) So so to Mr. Trump, I say on this one, go nuclear, dude. Like just just go. This is the real nuclear option. Forget about the Supreme Court thing. Go nuclear on this and just get be, because then f- let's force a conversation, a real conversation. And it's not that I want people to be, you know, dying in the streets. What oh, I want is happen. what I want. What I want is a real conversation about opening up the market for healthcare and stop Absolutely. this nonsense that what we have is in conflating health insurance with healthcare. Right. Right. Because there's, there's no such thing as health insurance. There's only prepaid healthcare. When do right. you want to prepay pay it? Insurance is a financial problem. Product. It has nothing right. to do with healthcare. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So, and and that whole debate, and it was so processed. And oh, we can't do this through reconciliation. All this really boring stuff that nobody probably followed, except you know the wonkish of us. And right. what I learned was that they could have done it through reconciliation, and that the Senate parliamentarian that everybody thought would you know throw a monkey wrench in the works said no. They could have done a lot on the repeal. <laughs> Through reconciliation, basically the whole thing. And it seems like nobody from the House walked over and talked to the Senate parliamentarian who was supposedly they who they were scared of and, you know, said would never approve this. And we didn't have 60 votes in the Senate and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, that that's a poor excuse. And, mm-hmm. and I really resent the Freedom Caucus being blame for this because I think they stood their ground on principle. And I give them a lot of credit. They didn't want to sign a crappy bill. No, because it was it wasn't wasn't anything that was near repeal, not no. even near it. Not no. They said they were going to do that in round two or three, and the Freedom Caucus said you're not going to have a round two or three. This right. is it. <laughs> and yeah. I tend to agree with that. So, yeah. Oh. All right. Well, there we good go. stuff. Um, I know we've only got a few minutes here, but in in the segment, but. Um, 
there's an interesting article out on the Harvard Business Review, and I'll just start. I'll get into this. I, I don't know if we'll finish this, but it's a brief history of the blockchain. And it's by a guy, uh, Vinay Gupta, uh, who actually did Dubai's blockchain. And, and that's interesting in and of itself. But he lays out in this article, he says, just think about what's happened in the last 10 years. He said, first off, we had Bitcoin, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the blockchain undergirding Bitcoin, people figured out, hey, this could be separated and used for other purposes. The third thing is then Ethereum came in with smart contracts, right? And now the mm-hmm. fourth innovation is a, it's called proof of stake. Rather than proof of work, which is how the miners do it now, in other words, the group with the largest computing power tends to make the decisions. Right. Now it's going to be based on um, proof of stake, and, and it's going to be more um, distributed. It, it, so it's going to basically speed up dis, uh, decision-making. And then also the fifth innovation he talks about is called blockchain scaling. So mm-hmm. whereas now every computer processes every transaction, you know, tries to figure out the, the algorithm and all that, solve the mathematical equation, which is very slow. He says, mm-hmm. new model with this blockchain scaling, they'll figure out how many computers are necessary to validate each transaction and divide the work more efficiency, efficiently. If they do this, the processing speed for like Bitcoin will go head mm-hmm. to head with visas. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, that's that's one that's of the big. Huge. Yeah, that is big. <laughs> that's that's big. really big. Now he doesn't talk about side chains or anything like that, but he did do uh, Dubai's blockchain strategy, and here's their strategy: Ed, by 2020, they're going to issue all government documents on the blockchain. Wow. So it it it's happening out there. It's out there. <laughs> oh, it's big moving. time! It's out there. Yeah, it's moving too. It's it's you know they did they did say 2017 is going to be make or break for blockchain. I don't know if I agree with that, but there's no doubt that it's making progress. Uh, 2016 or 2017 might might be make or break for Bitcoin. I don't think blockchain falls in that same category. Yeah, I I think blockchain is going to take a little bit longer to diffuse just culturally, and we'll probably have to ha- have the language change to make it more understandable and democratize it. But mm-hmm. when you get into it, it's just, just really fascinating. <laughs> yep. Yep. Wow. All right. Well, we're up against our last break here, Ron. I want to remind you that you can connect with us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Just a reminder that we'd love for you to visit our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where we have show notes from previous shows, as well as you can listen to the shows there. We do show the previews of upcoming shows on that site as well. But right now we want to hear from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. 
ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise it has recently been reported ron that apparently there has been a significant decline in international applications coming to colleges in the United States, 35%, I'm sorry, 39% of institutions responding to a survey reported a decline in their international applications. And this, it was attributed in the New York Times piece to Donald Trump being president of the United States. And this is evidence there's, there's a problem. Did they say how big the decline was? They just said a no. Thirty-nine percent reported a decline in international applications. So I'm testing your critical thinking skills, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the way it's positioned. Yeah. Well, our friend Tyler Cowan, who we have to have on at some point, yep. over he blogs over it at uh, the Marginal Revolution, right? Said, well, he went and he found the study. You see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only reported selective fact by the New York Times is that 39% of institutions responding reported a decline in international applications. Yeah. What did the 61% say? Right. 26 reported no change, and 35% reported an increase. Imagine <laughs> that. You, you know, the, the, the decline at first, though, even if, you, even if you thought that there was a decline overall... I, I would say, okay, yeah, it could be partly Trump, but it could also just be the rising tuition costs. Oh, right, no kidding, and the strength of the dollar. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, this, there's a thousand other ways that you could that you could spin this, but okay. So the, the, under the head, you know, this is the thing that drives me crazy: the whole faux news thing. I, look, I get alternative facts, and that was really a stupid thing that was said by by the Trump administration. And believe me, I'm not an apologist for them it, by any stretch of the imagination. But when you see, when you, when you find blatant evidence of stuff like this, like all you have to do is scratch the surface a little bit and just apply some basic critical thinking skills that if 39% report a decline, well, that means that 61%, as you pointed out, did something else. <laughs> right? I, it, it makes you think, are, are, is it because journalists... Are, are ignorant when it comes to this kind of statistical analysis? Is it because they're what, lazy? And that's what Alan says, right. It, or is, is it because it they're trying yep. to deceive? To pick pick right. any three of those, and n- neither of them are, reflect very highly on the New York Times reporting. No. 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 So, anyway, that, wow. that, that there, there's your critical thinking skills of the month uh, 
on this from the soul of enterprise. So when you see things like reported like that, please, I beg you, just dig down a little bit beyond the surface. Yeah. Or, or go find a blogger who's analyzed it and actually went and looked at the study. <laughs> well, Ed, I got one here. Uh, this is um, Furry Profitable from The Economist, February 4th. VCA is an animal hospital chain, and they have, for example, a 42,000-square-foot clinic in Hollywood. Uh, VCA uh, was purchased by Mars, the candy bar company, for $9.1 billion. Oh. You think, well, hmm, that's interesting. Why is Mars buying uh, a veterinarian clinic uh, chain? Uh, well, because Mars is second only to Nestle and pet food. <laughs> ah, okay. They're getting heavy competition from Amazon. So they figure, ah. well, rather than selling pets food, we'll go into animal health. Um, mm -hmm. Ed, the United States in 2012 spent $13.7 billion dollars in veterinarian clinics i think we need a national program Ron. clearly we're spending more than OE oecd nations 16 billion in 2016 was spent <laughs> uh now this company that's owned by mars uh has 1900 veterinarian clinics in america and canada um, the other thing is, uh, article pointed out was the average vet, you know, used to be a generalist, right? He's, you know, right. kind of looked at everything today. There's over 40 specialties in veterinarian medicine. And again, the law technically in many States, it's illegal for corporations to own veterinarian practices. So this VCA, this chain has to do, you know, complex legal structures and States. There's ways around it. Right. <laughs> but it just shows you how archaic some of these laws are, right, from the state boards. Um, and the other interesting thing about this uh, business is since pet, pets count as property, um, malpractice is, is usually not a factor. It's usually not. It's not just not a big risk. So, right. But I, I was kind of shocked by that. I mean, didn't we come up with a statistic that we spent $430 million on uh, uh, pet costumes for halloween in the united right. states right now and we're spending 16 billion dollars the thing is veterinarian costs are declining or they're they're not certainly growing at the same pace that you know human health care is growing mm -hmm. why is that maybe because mm, i can't spend their own money I, possibly yeah i don't know you know that, that could all right well speaking speaking that. of pets ron let me just squeeze this last one in um uh, you know, I have I have little kids, and uh, my my daughter and I last weekend went to see the new live action Beauty and the Beast. Did you have you ever seen either the, the, this movie or did you see the uh, original? No, I didn't. Uh, okay, so this will not be meaningful to you, but those in the audience will will really love this. There's an article posted by uh, Dan San Sanchez on on the uh, Foundation for Economic Education just eviscerating the movie, not for the movie, but because <laughs> it's actually taxpayer funded um, hegemony. And <laughs> it's like under the heading of, of how, how libertarians ruin everything, right? <laughs> he does the economic analysis of what happens in the movie Beauty and the Beast and why this is a problem, right? Uh, he, the quote, the pull quote, Bell's dreams for an adventure in the great white somewhere are rather vague and unactionable. <laughs> She says, right, not to be a childhood ruining killjoy, but who paid for all of this? She wants to know. So you might, 
I love it. Leave it to an economist. To, yeah. <laughs> Completely destroy the children's wow. movie, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, no, good stuff. Real quick, Ed, we got a new listener, David, up in, uh, I think he's in Edmonton, Canada. He left us an iTunes review. It says, I have learned more from TSOE than all the material covered in my undergrad, grad, and CPA degrees combined. If one does not actively follow Ron and Ed, they're doing themselves a disservice. Thank you so much, David. Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, we're going to talk about earning our mouse ears, Ron, and Disney's approach to the customer experience. I look forward to talking with you about Disney. Excellent. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. Energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.